Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to 62 Who Knew uh, for our new time, which is now 5 p.m. Uh, we're going to be uh, busting into that uh, Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy uh, time zone. We were competing with them. They were afraid of us. I think we got a call from Alex Trebek. Said, come on, guys, 62 Who Knew is growing too much. You have to get out of our time zone. Okay, I just made all of that up. But we are switching to 5 o'clock. Uh, going away from our seven o'clock uh, time zone uh, for that specific reason, to try and grow our audience. And uh, we hope you enjoy our new time zone or our new time schedule. Tonight's going to be a great show, but as always, let me thank uh, last week's guest, Mr. Johnny Lowy, uh, a national real estate expert trainer um, who talked to us about the senior real estate market, what's been changing, the trends today, specifically with COVID-19 uh, upon us. And uh, it was a great show. We thank him. And tonight is going to be another great show as we bring back an old friend who's been with us twice from the Weissman Institute uh, in Israel, although he's here in Florida, Mr. Richard Enslein. And I'll bring him on in just a few minutes. Uh, so before we get going, for all our new viewers, which I hope there's a bunch of in our new time zone, I'm going to explain a couple of things. One, my right eye is closed because I have a little issue with my right eye. It's not your TV. It is me. And uh, it's going to be fine very soon. But if you look at it and go, why is this one eye closed? Is he winking at me? No, I'm not winking. Just a small issue. And it'll be better soon. I'm also a little nasally and sniffly. Welcome to Florida uh, in the summer. I have allergies like a kid. So I, I'm a, I apologize for that in advance. But to our new viewers, what is 62 who knew? 62 Who Knew was based on a premise that almost everyone that approaches the age of 62 usually starts in your mid to upper 50s. But as that 62 uh, number comes, and for me, it is actually only 12 days away, everybody has the same thoughts. And when I say everybody, 99% uh, of the country, should I have paid off my house? Did I save enough? Do I still need my life insurance? Do I need long-term care insurance? Probably top on the list is, should I take my social security or should I defer it to a later date and keep working? Should I invest in annuities? Should I invest in stocks? The questions never end. And those are the same questions that I'm asking myself, you're asking yourself, so did your fathers, so did their fathers, so did their fathers. But my generation has one more question. My generation, if you would, has one more obstacle to overcome, and that is longer lifespans. My father and his father and his father before them look forward to that 62 age of retirement, look forward to Social Security, but didn't have a very great shot, did not have the odds with them that they could live to 85, 90, or 95 years old. And from the Institute of Science that our guest tonight is coming from, that 90 year, thanks to them and other think tanks like them around the country, that 90, 95 year old number could turn into 100, 105 in our lifetime. So who knew at 62 that you could still have 30 years left, half the time that you've been on this planet, you could still have. That's our generation's. It's a definite mixed blessing 
it's a definite double-edged sword to have this longer lifespan, but statistics say only about 1% of the country, 1%, maybe a little less, can live from the early 60s to 90 without help, without guidance. And I say live, live with quality. And that's why we bring on experts every week to talk about that, because who knew at 62 we could still have half the time of our lives left, all right? And 55 and I'm still alive, that rhymed, but it didn't sound too good. 58, ain't life great? We played with that, but we didn't like that. We settled on 62, who knew? And all of you have seemed to like it because we're on the air a little less than 18 months and have gone obviously from zero viewership to just a little bit above 80,000 viewers per week. And we're hoping with this new time zone that in the next month or so, we can crack into that 100,000 plus. And we're going to do that with the great guests that we have. And tonight is no exception. Uh, I would like to bring on, if you can, John, tonight's guest, Mr. Richard Enslein, the vice president um, in, here in Florida, representing the Weissman Institute in Israel. Uh, thank you so much for coming back. I know you have a crazy, crazy schedule that I'm sure is surrounding Zoom, like my life, because uh, I'm a little at risk, so I'm home a lot. But uh, welcome back, and thank you so much for being here. All right, what I'd like to do before we get into the specifics, which today is going to be COVID-19, like you just said when we were talking before we turned on the camera. God, we got to stay away from the politics. I wish the, the country could do this and just let the scientists do their thing. So today is no politics. It's science. But like me, five years ago, oh, my God, it's closer to seven years ago, before our mutual friend, Peter Geldwax, introduced us and said, Michael, do you know of the Weizmann Institute? And I said, no, I don't. And he said, how could you not? Um, I think there's going to be a lot of our viewers are going, what is the Weissman Institute? Because for the unbelievable contributions that the Weissman Institute has made, oh my God, to humanity, it is amazing how many people don't know who they are. So could you give us just a little overview of the Weissman Institute before we get into the, today's topic?
Yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. At home in lockdown. So in a two-week work cycle, we'll reduce the virus uh, reproduction number. It's a way out of the dilemma by exploiting a key property of the virus. It's latent period, which no one is talking about that I hear in the news. Uh, no, I haven't heard that term at all. There's a three-day delay on average, between the time a person is infected and the time he or she can infect others. So what they're doing in Israel and in some other places around the world, which we'll get to in a minute, is that uh, they've gone to uh, this cycle of working four days. So we have to keep the economy going. Uh, you're on your job. And then you uh, quarantine at home for 10 days. And if you cycle out, um, the workforce, uh, this will, uh, this two-week cycle would reduce the virus's reproduction number. Um, recently, Austrian school officials have adopted a simple version of this with two groups of students attending school every five days, and this started on May 18th. It reduces the number of, the density of the number of people at work and at school that's curtailing the transmission of the virus. So these scientists have also uh, come up with a, with a math mathematical algorithm to trace people uh, by asking questions on their cell phone as to where they've been in the last 10 days. And in Israel, they're able to uh, pinpoint where people have been whom they might have infected, where they might gotten the infection, and then rather locking down whole areas, they lock down those specific areas. So again, it's another way through science to keep an economy running, not shutting down a whole country, 
and yet having part of the economy working so people can subsist. So I don't know if you've heard about that before, Michael, but... No, I haven't at all, and I try to keep up with that. I, I, don't, I don't see America cooperating with that time. I mean, we almost had a little civil war on our hands when we closed down the country to begin with. I don't know if they would, uh, and, and I, you know how I love this country, we both do. Um, so the, the public hasn't been acting correct, not that they ever do. Um, and before we get a little deeper, and I know this is just your opinion, and we're staying away from politics, period. What do you say with your background when somebody walks over to you and says, come on, COVID-19, um, whatever you want to call it today, um, the, the coronavirus, it's just like the flu. We shouldn't have shut down the country. We shouldn't have, we shouldn't have, we shouldn't have. It's not just like the flu, but, you know, who am I? I'm a mortgage guy that has a TV show. What, what do you, what's your reaction when you hear an otherwise intelligent person go, it's just like the flu. We don't need masks. We don't need to stay home. It's, it's not just like the flu. It's a much more virulent virus. Um, as we know, it's a, it's a killer. Um, very, very basic science. As all of us age, our immune systems weaken. The older that we get, the weaker all of our immune systems get. Um, and they found the key to aging, and in certain neurological diseases, one of the ways to treat it is to supercharge your immune system. So with that said, we know that our immune systems weaken as we age, and therefore it's no surprise that this uh, virus is affecting uh, an older population more than it's affecting a younger population. Not to say that young people aren't getting sick, they are. I've had many cases that I know of personally, of people in their 20s becoming deathly ill, just not as often as prevalent is in an older population. So oh, that brings us. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, it's it, science it that's known all over the world. Uh, mm -hmm. We are susceptible to more things as we age, not only viruses, but to many other diseases. But, and that brings us to another very sensitive situation that's been overplayed, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. God, I can't stop sneezing. Uh, excuse me, which is, I don't want to say stupidity and I don't want to say moronic because, of course, we didn't do it on purpose. But this thing that we did of having seniors come to the hospital and then sending them home to the nursing home, which was basically putting them in a Petri dish rather than keeping them in the hospital. We sent them there and put them on lockdown with other people with weak immune systems. Now, as a layman and as a Monday morning quarterback, and hindsight is always twenty twenty. I can't think of any more good cliches. I know it's easy for me to say today, but it doesn't seem that that was logical the last three and a half months to take people with the weakest immune systems and put them on lockdown in their nursing home. And we wonder why all the deaths, or a great majority of the deaths, are coming from there. Well, that, that's absolutely correct. The last place they should have 
sent people from the hospital as a nursing home. They should have kept them in the hospital. In the case of New York, I don't understand why they weren't sent uh, to sections of the Javits Center or uh, to the Ship Hope. Um, yeah. To put them back into the nursing home uh, <clears throat> was not the brightest of ideas. I think and we need I to leave politics to the politicians, and I think we need to leave medicine to the scientists and the doctors. And the two yeah. should not meet in the middle. Yeah, and I, I don't know if we've learned our lesson, because there's still a lot of that going on. The seniors get sick, and they're still locked in in their little senior prisons. So I'm not sure we've learned from our lesson in the last three and a half months. Well, I hope that we have. I think it's kind of obvious now for the uh, uh, morbidity rate in the, in the nursing homes and the statistics that you see on the news today about the high percentage of the deaths come from people who are elderly and that we're in nursing homes. So we you put on the TV, you see this uh, statistic all the time. I don't understand what people don't get. Um, but again, uh, the question now is, uh, where do we go from here? How do we get out of this situation? And I believe that it's gonna come from great science somewhere, whether it's from MIT, Harvard, Oxford, Weizmann, somewhere in the world, the answer will come from science, not from newscasters or politicians. Yeah, yeah. Is, In that, is there I'm very, very hopeful anymore? that there'll be a solution because what is going on in the world of science now, I have not seen uh, before, which is open science. What do I mean by open science? Yeah. In the past, before uh, COVID-19, a scientist would come up with a new molecule that becomes the basis of a drug. The scientist would patent it, protect the intellectual property, IP as we know it. The scientist would publish his papers because all the scientists are graded by their peers by what they publish and how many times people read what, they're pub what they've published. And today in open science, there's, with COVID, many labs around the world are sharing their information. And if I might, I'd like to give an example of a scientist at Weizmann, Professor Near London, who has worked on avian viruses for years. He just didn't start with this now because of COVID, but they've been, right. he and his lab have been working on this for many, many years. Today, in open science, um, he's working with the researchers at Oxford University, Memorial Sloan Kennedy Center in New York, the University of British Columbia, a California uh, biotech company, Post-Era, and naming uh, one of the largest chemical vendors in the world. And the developing small molecules to target a key's key SARS virus COV2 protein that can halt and counteract the virus. So in today in the news, we're hearing constantly about a vaccine, which is wonderful if we can come up with a vaccine. What about coming up with a treatment for the virus that God forbid you or any of our loved ones would get 
that we could treat it like we did an infection with antibiotics. As we all right. know, pre-World War II, there were no antibiotics. You got an infection, your life uh, expectancy was shortened greatly. People didn't live yes. to be in their 60s. They died right. in their late 40s. Along comes antibiotics during World War II, and life expectancies jumped up exponentially. Um, so what gives me great hope is coming up with a treatment for the virus as the world scientists are working towards a, a vaccine. I would think that's I don't know more logical. If, uh, anybody that you've had on before, uh, Michael, has talked about new drugs to treat the virus versus all we're hearing in the media is vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. Yeah, and so many people are, we're going to have the vaccine any minute. And at 62 years old, and well, almost 62, uh, and as a layman, I don't have much confidence in a vaccine any minute or in the foreseeable future. I do like the idea, you're the first person to bring it up, um, of a way to treat it rather than cure it. Well, we're doing that a lot with cancers now. A lot of people are living longer with cancer. We've made it, some cancers a chronic disease that we can treat and keep people alive for many, many years. Why shouldn't we take the same, the same attitude towards this pandemic? Um, I see great movement in, uh, in this uh, COVID drug uh, development. Um, there are different platforms that are, uh, have been tried against many various proteins. And the past two weeks, they've been applied to viral proteins that have been shipped from the UK to Israel, and initial hits have potentially served as starting points for COVID-19 drugs. Um, the more and more resources that are put into this and the more and more that it's open science where all these labs in the world are collaborating gives me personally great hope that we'll have a treatment with this uh, in the not-too-distant future. Faster, as you said, Michael, than a, than a vaccine. Vaccines are great. Um, if you look in the history of vaccines, one of the fastest vaccines that came to market was the mumps. It took four years. We're hearing on TV many people that are self-promoting talk about vaccines that'll be had quickly. And in speaking with the scientists at the bench, um, they tell me that's wishful thinking, that it will take longer to go through the clinical trials of the vaccine. It'll take many months and then be able to produce enough doses of the vaccine to inoculate a great portion of the population. So in the interim, right. it seems only logical that we come up with a treatment, new drugs that'll treat the vaccine and to be able to reopen our lives and our economy. Now, before we go to the next uh, medical topic, you, you touched on this in the very beginning, but um, Israel, let's make it clear, you're here in Florida with us, but Israel is treating um, quarantine and things such as that a lot different than we are with their mathematical models, figuring out that a hotspot is not the state of New York, but a much more, you know, smaller Contained section. Area. Yeah. And uh, you had told me that they have boots on the ground uh, enforcing quarantine, which uh, yes. I, I find yes. amazing. In the beginning, they, they did not let people move around. 
Um, right now, railroads are still not moving. There's a talk about now about reopening railroads soon. But uh, most people who have traveled in Israel know now that there's a train that can take you uh, from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv or from Medellin to Tel Aviv or from Tel Aviv all the way south to the Negev Desert to Beersheba. And that's how many, many people get to and from work, to and from school. Um, Tel Aviv has become a very, very expensive city to live in. The younger people live in suburbs of Tel Aviv and right. commute to work. But they can't get to work because the trains aren't running. So, uh, again, they're, they're trying to get a lot different than we are. Reopening the rail lines. Mm -hmm. So you had started to talk also. Uh, I shouldn't say started to talk. We discussed beforehand uh, about some of the things. Well, first, is there anything more you would like to say about COVID? Because I know that the Weissman Institute sets goals for the next years, years in advance. And you had mentioned a couple of amazing things uh, that the. Well, there, there's, there's real Star Wars science going on there. And every time I see it or I go into the labs there, I come out with my mouth open. Um, one of the young. I think going to be superstar, uh, Professor Sorel Fleischman, a, uh, a younger scientist, um, who did his postdoctoral work on creating proteins on the computer and making them come alive in a petri dish. So oh all of God. our bodies have about 20,000 proteins. The cells talk to each other via the proteins. Think about the concept of creating a protein on a computer and then, and then bringing it, it to lab. life. Um, I still have trouble grasping the concept. Me too. But they're doing that. Uh, you're catching and my allergies through the computer. Literally. Yes. Well, there you go. Uh, there is my, my computer has COVID-20 now. <laughs> but uh, Sorel um, and his team, um, have are looking for these proteins and these places within this COVID cell, uh, into the infected cell to block the COVID spike. We've all seen pictures of the COVID-19 um, magnified many, many thousands of times, and you see the spikes coming out of it, and that attaches, goes through the cell membrane, but we know now it does not get into the cell nucleus, but attaches itself into the body of the cell. So what he's looking for is a protein that will block that attachment. It's a whole other way to look at treating the disease. But when I first met Sorel and he told me that his science was to create the proteins on a computer, I looked at him sideways as thinking to myself, is this man kidding? But this is real. And I, I call it as a layman. Star Wars science. It's, it's really... For me, it would be Star Trek. I think Star Trek science. And <laughs> actually, Sorrel, for all the Trekkers that so, are out there, and there are many... There are us. labs around Sorrel the world is, now that are that are cooperating with Sorrel, and uh, he could be the next one that comes up with a way to block the virus penetrating the cell. When was the last time you actually saw Sorrel, either on a Zoom meeting or in person? About a month ago. Okay, I want you to check the next time because Sorel is actually a Vulcan name. I want you to check and see if he has pointed ears. 
because if he does, I'm heading to Israel. <laughs> he's, he's a no tall, way to good get around. Handsome, Sorrell uh, is actually a Vulcan name. So I'm, I think I'm very, we got very something impressed here. with the young scientist. I, I think that these young, brilliant people give us a lot of hope for the future. There are going to be a lot of great things that come out of science uh, uh, beyond beyond uh, the COVID virus. So I'm, I'm looking forward to cures to Alzheimer's. I'm looking forward to new computers that are much faster than what we have now, much stronger. Uh, there's a whole new world that's coming out of the world of science. And we're going to be around well, COVID for COVID is only a blip um, on I, the screen. I know you've been gracious enough to uh, accept our invitation for two weeks from tonight uh, to be on with Ms. Laura Banner who is the founder and CEO of Compassionate Education and thinks throughout the, uh, speaks throughout the country, uh, has a very popular blog, like I said, is invited to long-term care conventions, um, dementia conventions. Um, what a debilitating disease. I, I got to be honest with you, I'd rather have COVID-19 um, than advanced Alzheimer's uh, because of COVID-19, I'd know who I am and I'd be fighting it consciously. Um, and I appreciate the, uh, you coming back uh, in a couple of weeks and doing a joint show with us. Talk to us about quantum science, quantum mechanics, quantum computers. Um, I know you're not actually doing that stuff, but you started to explain this to me uh, earlier before we got on the show. And, and again, we're, we're, we're talking pure Star Trek here. We're talking the future well, is on now. My on my last trip future. to Israel before COVID, I had the good fortune of going into many uh, quantum physics labs and for, saw firsthand for myself quantum gates, quantum computers that were being built. So for the audience, we all know from our basic science that we all had to take in ninth grade that we have solids, liquids, gases. We have a solid like water. We boil it to a certain temperature, and we all saw the gas uh, steam coming up from the water. So we changed the water to a gas. Now in the quantum world, it's the world of the atoms. And in the quantum world, in quantum physics, matter as we know it, solids, liquids, and gases, do not act the same way as quantum particles do. So what do I mean by a quantum particle? It's so small, we're talking about atoms. Think about the concept, and we can all picture how tiny an atom is, that information will flow on atoms on photons, which are beams of light. So we know light, the speed of light travels at 187,000 miles a second, Think about your information flowing on atoms at the speed of light. Uh, this is not Star Wars anymore. This is real. It exists. Mm -hmm. And there are countries all over the world, the United States, our major companies, Microsoft, Google, uh, IBM, all looking to build quantum computers. Whoever comes up with the quantum computer First, we'll be able to break the algorithms that protect our encryptions, such as in online banking or in the messages that uh, military sent to their uh, ships and planes around the world. 
Think about if someone had the ability to break those encryptions. So there's so a race in the probably world about right the nuclear now codes as well. That's going on to be the first one to have a quantum computer. We have to be, or one of our allies for sure, because I'm sure that includes the nuclear codes, missile codes, everything we say to our submarines, everything. Correct. It's everything, and there are billions of dollars being invested in this country, in China, um, in this race to have the quantum computers. There have been smaller quantum devices that have been built, uh, nothing to, at the capacity which uh, great scientists envision. Uh, but actually seeing, I was in a lab where I saw quantum particles where they actually were able to put electronic uh, charges into atoms, suspend them in the air, and then take pictures of them in a, in a box. And you see the picture of the atom, uh, which are magnified millions of times to be able to see it. And it was really, really exciting to see an atom in a, in a photo. And then think about they could put information on it and, and make it travel to where they want. Um, again, I keep equating it back to uh, Star Wars or Star Trek, what we grew up seeing on TV and in the movies and we thought was science fiction is becoming real in front of our eyes. Well, when we start talking they can about do this, physics, I think they'll be able to also be the coronavirus. I think our answers no are going to come from science from somewhere, not from politicians. Nothing comes from politics other than chaos and separation. I hate to say that. My father's probably rolling over in his grave. So is yours to the condition of that. We're not going to get political, not left or not right. No, 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 no so it's going to be great scientists. We have great That's science right. here in this country. We have great scientists. We have great doctors. It'll be for them that will solve the, the COVID-19 dilemma. Right. And I happen, I happen to be one of those people. It may be too altruistic or too optimistic that, uh, think the great scientists, and I know that, uh, I forget what you said, it's not the, the shape, the first time you were on, you said something like, it's not the shape of your eyes that welcomes you into the um, Weizmann Institute, but it's the size of your mind. And I know you know, a lot of people are thinking, well, it's the Weizmann Institute in Israel. They must be 100%, because the few names you've mentioned, Fleischmann, these are all Jewish names, but that's very far from the truth. The Weizmann Institute is not 100% Jewish scientists, is it? That's, that's correct. The international language of science is English. Uh, there is a graduate school in the five disciplines and the, the faculties of, of the basic science. Um, there's graduate degrees, PhD degrees, and postdoctoral degrees. And I, all the teaching is done in English. English is a mm -hmm. universal language of science. And there are, in our postdoctoral program, 68% of the students are from other countries around the world. Even in, this, in the labs, in the scientists, you can see people from India, China, uh, Japan, people all over Europe, from the United States, from South America. There are people who are, uh, believe it or not, people don't want to believe it, it's fine, but I know them. There are Arab scientists there. Um, all they want is a big brain. They want the smartest people. Um, if you have the, uh, 
the mental capacity to be there, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for the smartest people who have great curiosity and great perseverance to stay with their science in order to find the answers to their questions. So at Weitzman, the way to get in is really the interview. They know your grades when they accept your application. Um, it's all about finding out what your perseverance is, what type of personality you are. Um, are you going to stick with it? But again, it's the smartest people. I hear, I hear many, many different languages spoken at Weitzman. Um, again, everyone speaks English, but uh, there's a lot of Spanish spoken there. People from Argentina, from Chile, from from Uruguay. You hear the King's English with people from South South Africa. People from I met people from the Netherlands, from from France, from Germany. It, it's really uh, a it's science kibbutz. And it's a, a lot of people kibbutz. live on campus, they walk to work. It's all about the science. And it's right. Wouldn't it be amazing? Political. They don't the want world. they don't want politics there. They just want the brightest people. Wouldn't it be amazing if that could serve as a little micronism for the way the world should react, uh, the way the world should live? Because to think about it, I've never been there, um, but to think about it, um, to have a group of people from the Arab nation, from China, uh, from the Latin American nation, from America, uh, from everywhere working together you know, for the good of humanity, that in itself sounds like a TV show. Doesn't sound like it could be reality, but it is reality in the Weizmann Institute, and I'm sure in other institutes throughout the country. Uh, or throughout One of the, the things world, that I, I became say. aware of in the last eight months um, myself is the date. Well, I've known about the Davidson Institute is the education arm of the Weizmann Institute, and there are many, many programs for students around the, the country of Israel, whether the brightest students or students have been in trouble with the law. But in, with COVID now, there's been a lot of distance learning, a lot of programs written uh, for science students uh, on the internet. And they translated it from Hebrew to English, and Spanish, and Arabic. And they broadcast this to the Arab countries in the Middle East. And they're getting millions of hits every day for Arab students in Middle Eastern countries, learning science on a Weizmann platform from the Davidson Institute. So can we have peace? I don't think personally that uh, countries make peace. I think the people within the countries make peace. People make peace with people. And I th I'm greatly optimistic that through education and science that we could have peace in, peace in that region. People have to get to know each other, yeah, and that will sway governments. Right, and sometimes it is a uh, a negative cause like a coronavirus um, that has, and it's sad, but many times having a common enemy. Sometimes that enemy is a country. In this case, it's a virus. It's a molecule. Uh, but sometimes having that common enemy uh, shows the world how we can work together. Um, and again, I've become. As you probably know, I'm an optimist by nature. My glass is three quarters filled. Uh, but also one of the negative thoughts I have every now and then is when the emergency passes, 
people revert right back to their old ways. And I'm hoping this time more young people, more scientists, more intellectual people, because no one will ever convince me uh, that intellect does not create benevolence. Intellect doesn't want to go to war. I don't want anybody dying. Um, of course, the Klingons in Star Trek would argue that. But other than the Klingons, intellect creates benevolence, becomes peace. So these young scientists, it gives me the chills when you say that, working together from all parts of the world is, is just incredible. We have to use you know, these circumstances, like I said, as a micronism, a way the world should be working. And it just doesn't. But it should be. But uh, you do make me feel more optimistic. Uh, when you do say that uh, about a peace in the Middle East that many people in our generation feel can never happen. And uh, I hope it's not true for our children and our grandchildren's sake. About eight years ago, I came into contact with the following story that I'd love to tell you about. Please do. Uh, a, Chinese, a Chinese woman who was doing her postdoctoral uh, at the Weizmann Institute. And... Uh, she was married, and she went back to China. And in those days, if you recall, uh, the Chinese were only allowed to have one child, and you had to have it before the age of 30. Yeah. So she went back to China, and she found that she was pregnant. She was in Israel with her husband. And the Chinese government told her that she had to have an abortion. She's too old. She's over 30. She called up the professor that she served under, and he told her, she told him the story crying, and he said, come back to Israel. We'll get you a job. Have the baby here. So she did that. She went back to Israel. She had the baby uh, in Rehovah, Israel. So my question to you, Michael, is, is the baby an Israeli citizen or a Chinese citizen? Well, I would guess it's Israeli because that's where it was born. <laughs> she eventually went back to China with her husband and her child. And but they allowed that's her That's the way we would hope the world would be. Um, unfortunately, with the things that go on today, um, it has a long way to go. And I think education is the only way out for our country. Yeah. Education, education, education. Intellect um, is the only way. And then I run across, you know, somebody who says the masks don't help and it's just like the flu. And, and I think intellect, 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 we couldn't be further enough away from it. We're in big trouble. So it depends who I'm talking to, what kind of attitude that I have, unfortunately. So uh, well, we don't have much here's time. Here's a question to ask so your, your viewers. Uh, when you wear the mask and you're about to sneeze, as you and I have been from our allergies, um, yes. Who are we protecting wearing the mask, ourselves or the person we would have sneezed on? That's exactly right. You're doing it for others. You exactly. already have it if you have it. I mean, and that's what we have to do. We have to see if I have my mask, because I do go out every now and then. Do I have my mask in my pocket? No, I don't. I wanted to show it to you, but okay, it's not there. Um, so uh, in the time remaining, although we're going to go into this in a much deeper way in two weeks when uh, Laura Banner is on, but um, the neurosciences, uh, neurosciences, uh, you brought this up six months ago. And again, uh, when you brought up the advances that the Institute <clears throat> you know, was making uh, with um, dementia and uh, Alzheimer's specifically, 
it just boggled my mind. And I know you've even made further advances and we'll be discussing them in a couple of weeks. I know you've also made, uh, Israel has always been decades and decades uh, ahead of us when it comes to stem cell research, uh, spine injuries and things such as that. So what are the goals for the Institute you know, in 2021, other than helping us find uh, not necessarily a cure, uh, but stronger medicines for COVID-19? Now, that's a great question that we did not discuss beforehand, but I'm actually glad that you asked it. Um, going into 2021, to the next fiscal year, um, the great priorities of the Institute are the neurosciences, is the brain. And the Institute is going to go partake now in a $200 million campaign. They want to put all of their neuroscientists and uh, associated groups, whether they can be computer scientists or uh, physicists that work within the neural world or other branches of the basic sciences, into one building. And they're looking to build a, a building that will be six floors above ground, two floors below ground, and to put all of the various groups that are in different buildings around the campus in one place. And uh, neuroscience is at a critical juncture. Breakthroughs are coming at a rapid pace. In the last uh, decade alone, new imaging techniques and tools have allowed scientists to see, stimulate, and record brain activity and open the door to previously unfeasible studies. So the knowledge of genomics has spurred exploration of psychiatric and other brain disorders. Links between the brain and the immune system have led to new ways to think about diseases like Alzheimer's. And the brain has been shown to be far more malleable than we ever thought possible. So the next great last frontier is the brain. And there are so many things that we know about the brain, and there's so many things that we don't know about the brain. Um, when you think about the synapses that the neurons fire between neuron to neuron, and it's like an electrical charge that you can't see that goes from one neuron to the next. If they don't fire correctly, things go wrong in our brains and other parts of our body. There are, I asked this question of a great neuroscientist the last time I was in Israel. I asked him how many neurons are in the brain. And he said to me, look up at the sky, more than the stars than you see. Wow. There are millions and millions of neurons in our brain. Mm -hmm. So how do we understand what each one does and what each function does? So the, I think the last great frontier is the brain. I think it will open up and enlighten doctors and scientists to many things that we have not known before. And I look at it as the last great frontier. So while 60% of Weizmann scientists for years have been working on cancer, and there are many great breakthroughs have come through there. Yes, they have. Um, then to answer your question directly, the next great frontier for the Institute is the brain.
And, uh, and in some cases, many, being able many, to many find cures them. will come from many, many different things. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So, uh, how long have you been personally in quarantine? I, I've gone out a little more the last couple of weeks with my mask, but I'm an at-risk person. So I've spent the great majority of, uh, I say, since the second week of March. So we're going on three months, maybe three months in a week. Well, I've spent I, 90% I made of my a time. note exactly when I came off of the road, which I love to right. be on, uh, on March 12th. That's so right, it's about, been over three months and 10 days <laughs> that I am off the road uh, and at home working on Zoom calls. Um, I ventured out twice to places I should not have been. I saw how careless people are being on the street yep. and came right back to the house. I, like you, are in a high-risk group. I have uh, renal challenges. I have... Uh, uh, cardiac challenges, and I know if I get the virus, uh, I won't survive it. So I I basically stayed very close to home. Yeah. I've given in a little when it comes to seeing my grandchildren. Uh, I very rarely go until COVID-19 a number of days without seeing them. I'm blessed by having them all very close. And I will say after 90 days of Zoom and FaceTime, I couldn't take it, especially with the a new granddaughter who's now three months old, um, but I hadn't seen her since the second day she was born. And about three Fridays ago, I said, COVID be damned, I got to see my grandchildren. Drove over to their house uh, five minutes away, kept six minutes away, kept my mask on, hugged them, and thought to myself, you know, if I get it, I get it, but I can't take not hugging them anymore. Uh, I don't have to go out to restaurants. I don't have to go shopping. Uh, but I, I, I was dying to see them, just dying. Well, that's a bad, bad cliche. I'm sorry. I miss them very, very much. And I think I'm, all I'm of us so that are grandparents concur with what you feel and have said. Um, I'm only seeing my grandchildren by Zoom and FaceTime also. I have not seen them in person. And it is the uh, one thing that is really disturbing me. Uh, all the things I want in the world is to have my grandchildren on my knee while I eat. And making me dirty. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And are, are most or all of your grandchildren local to you? Um, well, I'm right now in my Sarasota home, and uh, my grandchildren oh, you're are on close. the east coast of Florida and in Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. So I have not seen them physically. Um, I talk to them all the time, but it is the greatest loss of this virus, not being able yeah. to hold them. Yeah, no, no doubt. And every grandparent I speak to, Totally concurs with it. I've had friends yeah. that have taken great risks getting on airplanes, going to see their grandchildren because no. they couldn't take it anymore. No, no. I, yeah, I wouldn't get uh, Right now, I, I have a potential very great uh, business opportunity uh, in New Jersey uh, in the middle of July. Um, under most circumstances, I'd be on a plane to be there, um, but I'm going to have to do it by Zoom. I'm not even tempted a little to get on the plane, not yet. Um, if I can't do it by Zoom, I can't do it by Zoom. I do have business associates that are getting on the plane and doing it. I'm just not, you know, this is, uh, I'm just too much at risk. Well, the first place I wanna go is Israel. I wanna go back to the Institute. To me, it's the Garden of Eden. 
Um, you can eat from I've the tree of knowledge there. and I... you won't be thrown out of the garden. Yeah. <laughs> I would I would like to go. I never have. As you know, my uh, my son went last summer, um, you know, with birthright. He went for 10 days, ended up staying for six weeks. Um, I, I kept saying to him, I'm glad you're having such a good time. It most certainly changed him um, emotionally um, on several levels. Sometimes he would FaceTime me, you know, uh, you go, Dad, look, at, I'm walking in a desert with a group of my friends. Take a look around. And he would show me things. And uh, there were certain places he went to that had recordings. And he would get me on the phone and, and hit the button to tell what happened there a 1,000 years ago or 500 years ago. It certainly changed his life. After about six weeks, I said, yeah, I know you love it there, but don't make me hire private military to come drag you home. Um, and he went, no, I'm coming home soon, Dad. But... One night he called me, and we only have a couple of minutes left. And, uh, of course, with the time difference, it was late. And I thought, oh, my God, is something wrong? Because he knew. And I picked up. I go, is everything okay? And, and he said, I, I got to tell you about this experience. I sat down with three men because in the middle of the night, he's walking around. It's safe as anything. Not what they tell you on the news. Children playing in the dark in the streets. He said, and I was invited to sit down by three older men with their large hats and yarmulkes, and, and, and my son is an atheist. He is very proud of his Jewish heritage. Uh, I'm an agnostic. I believe in something. I just don't know what it is, and I'm very proud of my Jewish heritage. But I said to Josh before he left, don't, don't be yelling you're an atheist. He said, I'm not going to yell it, but I'm not going to hide it. I, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. And uh, they asked him, and he said he was an atheist. He believed in science, but was proud of his a Jewish religion, and he said they spoke for two, three hours with no arguing, no emotion. I mean, no, you have to believe you shouldn't. That's what I would have thought from old Jewish men, you know, with yarmulkes in Israel. He said, Dad, not only was it the greatest conversation I've ever had about God and science and, and Judaism and Christianity, he said, but halfway through the conversation, uh, one of the men said to me, you think we're all Jewish, don't you? And Josh said, yes. He goes, no, no, no. I'm Jewish. This man is Christian. This man is a Muslim. He's an imam. And, and Josh was taken my, back by My him. favorite restaurant in Israel is an Arab restaurant in Jaffa. And they, they're the all food sitting is wonderful there breaking the bread. Their there. children are playing with each other in the streets. It's not what the news tells you. And exactly. that changed Josh's exactly. life. And I can't wait the to opposite. get there now. With, fifth, with 15 seconds left, thank you so much for being here. We look forward to seeing you in two weeks. Let's both of us stay healthy. Give a, a Zoom hug to your grandchildren for me. Thank you so much for being here. And Thanks everybody else, you, thank you for putting up with the sniffles and the one eye being closed. We'll see you next week.